It's Wednesday, March 24th, 2021. I'm Tanya Harris, and welcome to TMI Daily, your daily roundup of everything people are talking about online since they aren't allowed to talk about it in person. Fresh from arguing that D.C. shouldn't be a state because it doesn't have a car dealership, Republican Jody Heiss announced this morning that he will run to unseat Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. Jody, just a word of caution. We're pretty certain Raffensperger won't find you an extra 12,000 votes when you lose. Mitch McConnell is now complaining that he hasn't gotten a call from Biden and that he also hasn't been invited to the White House. Wow, imagine how mad Mitch will be if the president does give his wife a job. God's worst spokesperson, Laura Ingram, is being criticized for claiming on her Fox News show last night that Democrats care more about taking care of undocumented immigrants than about Americans who supported Trump. She may be right, but I swear, if any of those immigrants try to overthrow our government, I will completely rethink this. In an interview, Marco Rubio expressed concerns about UFOs flying around U.S. military installations. Let's just hope the aliens don't come down and insult him and his family because we all know whose side little Marco will end up on. Yesterday, Prince Harry announced a new job as a chief impact officer for a Silicon Valley startup called BetterUp. Thankfully for Harry, the other guy up for the job was only a duke. On Instagram, Taylor Swift announced that for the second time in two months, she is releasing a new recording of one of her old songs. At this rate, Taylor might have to redate Harry Styles just to see if her fans will pay for that too. Justin Bieber went to a California prison yesterday. It was to do missionary work, but come on, for a second there, before I told you why, it was a pretty interesting thought. According to Andy Cohen on last night's Tonight Show, we have all been pronouncing Khloe Kardashian's name wrong this whole time. Well, let's see if Andy wants to correct any of the other names we've called her and her sisters over the years. SAG-AFTRA issued a do not work order against the TV streaming project surviving the cartel due to a quote hybrid casting model in which friends and family pay to vote aspiring actors into the cast. This is a huge setback for Lori Laughlin's plans to start Olivia Jade's TV career. Disney has moved the remake of the Agatha Christie murder mystery Death on the Nile to a 2022 release date in part because co-star Army Hammer is currently being investigated by the LAPD for alleged rape allegations. This is probably a good decision because I haven't seen the movie yet and I'm already certain he did it. Now let's send it over to tonight's TMI Daily cast and crew roundtable. Stay safe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of TMI Daily. I'm Veronica Aiello, and as always, I'm joined by some of my TMI Daily crew. Later on in the show, we're going to be joined by Melina Stein, the host of the Saucy Talk podcast. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Let's go around and say hello to everyone watching at home or listening to our TMI Daily podcast. Let's start with you, Pete. So uh, today is Equal Pay Day. It's where we celebrate women getting paid the same thing as men. And I just want to let everybody know that the women on our show get paid just as much as all the men do. Yes, which is zero. <laughs> why do you have to actually explain that? What a shock. 
<laughs> I just wanted to double check. <laughs> so, were you asking the question or were you actually telling everybody the case? Well, I was saying, yeah, which is zero. And then I just wanted to make sure that like none of you had like a surprise look on your face. <laughs> if you did, I would be like, wait a minute, what's going on? What's going on here? <laughs> <That's suspicious>. <laughs> Joe. Hi, everyone. Uh, listening on Google Podcasts. And a very, very happy National Cheesesteak Day. I'm going to have a cheesesteak right after the show. Yum. I wish I could have a cheesesteak, but I can't because we're still doing low carb. Wow. Hey, everybody. We'll have, uh, you know what? We'll have a cheesecake at Joe's funeral. Fuck him. <laughs> uh, that was okay. later. I'm sorry. I, I've got, I've got cheesesteak with drill, Joe. I, I apologize. You've got cheesesteak envy. Yeah. Danny. Yo. Hello, everybody. I'm just excited that Survivor 41 is in production now because that really is my favorite show. Okay. And Chris. What's up? Happy Wednesday. Um, I usually don't have my hair out, but I almost caught it on fire today. So I'm going to let it flow <laughs> because I appreciate it so much more now than I did before. <laughs> It looks like you should be in a 90s hip-hop video. That's what I'm uh, saying. You know what? I'm good with that. It's, 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 it's me, myself, and the I right one. there. <laughs> you can get with this, or you can get with you that. that. <laughs> you can get with this, or you can get with it. I like it, Chris. I think Jump. you should wear like that often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so, too. I look like an artist. I look like a troubled artist. Can I just ask you real quick, um, how did you almost catch your hair on fire? Um, I was, I had my candle lit here on, on a small dresser and I was looking over it, reading something. And I like looked too close to the, and it, it, I just saw a little bit of puff right here. And I was like, no. <laughs> is, is, is Q-Tip still producing? Cause he should give you a call. <laughs> as long as I can keep this without burning it off, I'm good. I ain't trying to be Michael Jackson in a Pepsi commercial in this video. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like it. I like the look. Okay, so let's get started with tonight's show. This morning, Taylor Swift announced that tomorrow she will be releasing a song from her vault that she re-recorded called Me All Over You. This is all part of Taylor's plan to re-record everything she recorded for her first six albums. Tonight, we thought we'd look at the reason why Taylor is doing this and ask whether fans should have to pay for her decision. So first, in a nutshell, can someone explain to me why Taylor Swift is re-recording all of her old music? Because I don't have much Taylor Swift knowledge. Um, Pete, let's start with you. Well, um, it all started in 2018 when she decided to leave her original record label, uh, Big Machine. Because uh, at the time, I guess that what, they, what they told her was that if she stayed with the label and kept recording records for each record that she, that she put out, she'd get back ownership of the masters of one of, of, one of her other six albums that came out beforehand. Uh, but she decided to leave anyway. And she said, she said in a statement that she knew that, that, uh, once she left that they were going to sell, uh, the label because she wasn't there any longer because of course she's the most important person in the world, but literally she was right because within weeks of her leaving, they sold the label. The only problem was they sold the label to somebody that she hates, which is Scooter Braun, who's the, uh, the manager of people like uh, Justin Bieber and Demi Lovato. Uh, and she has a, a personal uh, beef with him because he also uh, manages both Kim Kardashian and Kanye West 
who, if you remember correctly, had uh, Kanye had had written a song for uh, for his album, one of his albums called Famous. And on the song, he said that uh, that he thought that he could still fuck Taylor Swift. And that it was the reason why is because he made that bitch famous. Um, and so before he put out the record, he uh, he called her and asked her permission if he said that on the record. And she said, yeah, she was fine with it. She thought it was actually kind of funny and provocative. And then when the record came out, she claimed to not, to not know that, that she, she claimed that she was broadsided by it and that didn't didn't know that this was coming out. And then Kim Kardashian released video of, of the phone conversation because they taped their conversation uh, where she where she was caught a lie. And then to make things worse. Uh, for the video that they did of it, they uh, put mannequins on uh, in the video of all these celebrities nude in bed with Kanye, and she was one of the people that was nude in bed with him, and she apparently did not like that either. So she claims that Scooter Braun helped them bully her. Uh, but also there's, there's this thought that because she's really good friends with Selena Gomez and since Selena Gomez used to be with Justin Bieber, that that also has something to do with the reason why she doesn't like Scooter Braun. So he, he buys her, her, her whole collection. She loses her mind, you know, bad mouths him all over, all over the internet and in inter- interviews. And then when that isn't enough, um, like less than a year later, he sells the collection for a huge profit to um, to, to like some like management company, like some some completely ra- like it's an assets company. I'm sorry, not a management company um, for three hundred million dollars. And, uh, you know, basically, originally, she thought she might be able to buy back her, her collection, but she didn't get the chance to. Um, he sold it. And then what she decided to do was then go in and re-record every one of her songs um, and then put those versions out so they would compete against the original versions of her songs. So I'm sorry, that wasn't much of a nutshell, but that's exactly what it was. No, it's the same story. Um, I don't know if you know the artist. I don't know if you remember the artist, uh, JoJo. She did the same thing. Like she, she when she came out, she was like 14, 15 years old and the studio like totally screwed her of all the money she was making off these crazy hit records. And so once she finally was able to get out of her contract, she re-released because they wouldn't give her her original song back. So she did a, a, like a new version of the song and put that out and put it on Spotify so she could actually start making money off those hits that they're still making money off of. Well, well that happens actually. Yeah. With a, it happens with a lot of artists actually. If you if you go on Spotify or any of the other music services, you're going to find a lot of re-recordings of, of records because either like if it was a group. Um, where the singer was kind of prominent in the group. A lot of times after the group's broken up now, the singer will go and re-record the song and try to make money off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes the song, uh, the song is so old that like, it's like, you know, 30 years old, 40 years old or longer that, that, you know, people may, uh, you know, that they may have no rights to get their music back and they have no rights for even for any residuals off those songs being played. And so they re-record the songs to try and get, uh, to get money off of it. So it's not a new thing, but this is a new thing because, she's literally taking everything she ever she ever did not just stuff that was released but even stuff that wasn't released mm-hmm. and she's re-recording it and then pushing it out to, to to sell again yeah so okay so you talked then about the beef that she has with this scooter Braun guy um yeah. so this is a post on her tumblr from 2019 this is what she said all i could think about was the incessant manipulative bullying i've received at his hands for years like when Kim Kardashian orchestrated an illegally recorded snippet of a phone call to be leaked and then Scooter got his two clients together to bully me online about it. 
or when his client, Kanye West, like you mentioned, organized a revenge porn music video, which strips my body naked. So that's what she posted in regards to what Pete just um, summarized for us. Um, Okay, so now that brings us to talk about the new recordings. Earlier this year, she said that she would be releasing a newly recorded version of her 2008 album, Fearless. And as, as a taste of what has, I'm sorry, and as a taste of what was to come, she released a new version of her hit single, Love Story. Before the release, Taylor said that it was fun to go back and sing the song again because she's matured as both a person and an artist, and it shows in the recordings. So we wanted to put that to test and see if you can tell how much she's matured. So we thought we'd play both versions of the song, and you tell us which version it is. So what I have done is I have edited both songs into three 15-second clips. We will play the first part, and then and then you, and you ask which version of the song it is. Then we'll do the same with the last two parts. So does that make sense? I'm going to hand it over to Peter now. Yeah, so basically the song is about four minutes long. We took three sections of the song um, from both versions, um, and, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to play one version and I'm going to play the other version. You're going to tell me which one's the old version, which one's the new version, uh, for each one of these three sections. Because, you know, cause clearly, cause Taylor Swift matured a lot, um, since 2008, you could tell the difference in the recordings. So okay. I'm going to play, I'm going to play the first one. I'm going to play the first one and then I'm going to play the second version of it. So it's it, one again is going to be the new version. One again is going to be the old version. And then you'll tell me which version, which version is which. So here's the first section. We were both young when I first saw you. I closed my eyes and the flashback starts. I'm standing there. In the sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. On a balcony in summer air. We were both. Okay, so that's one version of it. Now I'm going to play another another version of the same exact part, and you tell me which one is which. Young when I first saw you, I close my eyes and the flashback starts. I'm standing there on the balcony in summer air. Okay, Joe, which which version do you think was the new version? The uh, the, the first, first track one. or the second? The what? first one. Okay, how about, you, um, how about you, how about you, I'm going to ask Danny last, so how, how about you, Chris? I think the first one was the original. Okay, uh, Veronica, which one do you think is the, the, um, the new one? I think the second one is the newest one. Okay, and Danny, which one do you think is the new one? I don't think I know. The oh. first one is the newest version, the second one is the original version. Okay, well, Danny's correct. Hey, um, I got that right. Wait, the first one is the newest one? Yeah. Can okay. I ask, how do you know that? Like, how could you tell? Because I have it on my Spotify. I listen to the... But what's... I, I, I mean, I really... <laughs> I, no, I, lis- I listen to the voice. I mean, I don't know Taylor Swift. The, the first one... I listen one, to the yeah. voice, and the voice is more... Like it sounds older. It's got a little bit of a of a scratch to it. So obviously, you know, someone who's been singing for many, many years, many, many years now. Yeah, the first um, one sounds more natural. Yeah, and it, it's got a little bit more. It, it's got a little more age in the in the voice, so you can hear a little bit of a <clears throat> scratch and stuff like that. Whereas the, I'm assuming when she was younger, we probably did more manipulation to her because she wasn't as big yet. 
mm-hmm. um, where they're they're in the in the new one where she's running she's running everything she's she's popping it in the way she wants so it sounds more like a natural voice. Yeah. Okay. okay so now let's let's play a second section and again one of these is going to be the old version one of them is going to be the new version. Okay, and here's the second version of it. Okay, Joe, which one is the uh, the new version? The second one. The second one's a new version. Okay, Chris, what about you? I think the the second one is the original. Okay, uh, Veronica. Um, I think the same. The first one, I think, is the original. Okay, Danny, which one? It's the same as before. The first one is the second one, and the second one is the original one. Danny's correct. So, so, so Chris was right. So, okay. So, but this time Joe was wrong. So, what, Joe? Why did you think this time that it was the other way around? It was just a little tougher in the course, but. Um, I mean, again, I'm not a Taylor Swift fan. Well, you don't have to be. I, I this, is just, this is just listening to a recording and trying to figure out which sounds different. Um, okay, so let's let's do the third. Let's do the third part of the song, and again, see if there, if we can tell the difference. Wondering if you were ever coming around, my faith in you was you on the outskirts of town and I said Romeo save me okay and here is the other version of it wondering if you were ever coming around my faith in you was fading when I met you on the outskirts of town and I said Romeo save me okay Joe which one is the new version um, the first one. Okay, Chris. Uh, the new version is for sure the second one. I'm going off of what Joe said about the first one. Okay, Her voice uh, Veronica. I was just gonna say the exact same thing, Chris. I sounded like it sounded a little bit more raspier in the mm-hmm. second version. So now, based on Joe's theory, I'm gonna go with that as well. Okay, and then Danny. That would be correct. The newest version is the second one. That is true. Okay, so so the one thing it proves is that Danny is the only person that can tell that there's a difference. <laughs> but but here I want I want to just do one other thing um, to kind of to kind of just show you just how different the two versions are. So what we have is we have if if you listen in the left speaker you're going to hear the original version in your right speaker you're going to hear the new version and tell me if you could tell the difference between the two. Okay, so so basically that's that's the exact song played played at the same time on both versions. So I'm just wondering, does anybody think it's so dramatically different? 
Nah, not so. I wouldn't say dramatically different. Like if she did, if she did like all her old music, like grunge style, like it was the nineties. Yeah, like a different be. style. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, like, there, are subtle, like, there are subtle hints, you know, but yeah, she sounds. Know, different I, I think I would, I would have to be a super fan. Like if it was just if it popped up on my Spotify, I would have to be a super fan to know which is the old one and which is the new one. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, and, first and of all, if it pops up on my Spotify. I'm going on there to figure out why did they fuck up like that um, and, and immediately delete it. Um, but other than that, uh, I mean, I wouldn't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm right there with you, Joe. I think if you're a super fan, like Danny is, like he's a fan of hers and he knows her music, then you can tell a difference. But again, I, I'm i not a fan. So I mean, like, I'm not like familiar with her music. If the new kids went and re-recorded uh, their old albums now, you would definitely know the Abs- difference. Oh, absolutely. But I think that yeah. it would be, even with their age difference, I think it would be tougher what? for, like, someone who's not a fan to not know. Yeah, but, like, what, like, okay, so when, like, how old was she when she did these, like, what, six years ago, we said? It was 2008. Well, so the age difference, then, is what, like, what, five, six years? Like, no, I'm sure five, six years, you're talking about 13 years. Oh, yeah. 13 years, sorry. So, yeah. like, when you're talking about, like, you're saying, like, the new kids now, that they're, like, in their 50s, you know, when they were hey. recorded in the 20s, in their 20s, that's, like, a 30-year difference. But, like, yeah. one of the things I was telling Pete, actually, one of the new kids did do an album where he did um, a different versions of the of new kids' songs, but those versions are completely different. Like, right. it's, like, night and day. And yeah. to me, that was really neat to kind of hear a different version, but I just... I mean, again, I don't know. Maybe I'm just, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm just not a fan of hers. I don't like her, but I just, I guess someone like Danny, you can't tell the difference because you're familiar with her music. And it's for her, the principle of the matter, you know, she wants to be in charge and own her music, you know, so if what it takes is to re-record them, then she's going to do them. And people who are legit fans of hers are going to support her, you know, no matter what. Okay. So even if you went back and just did an acoustic version, but, but, he, that's but different. here's the thing. I still think that's, that's, that's nicer. I, I, I remember, I there's just one song. You, we don't know Georgia what you can do with everything else. But let me ask you this, Danny. Did you make $75 million last year? Of course not. You know she did, right? Yeah. So, and you know you paid part of that $75 million, right? I got some of it back because... So, but no, what I'm canceled. trying to say is... That, <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm trying to say, though, is that is that, like... <laughs> <laughs> I get this idea that fans support the artist, but this is basically the same fucking recording. I mean, there's really, I mean, other than just the, the slightest of recording changes, there's no, there, I mean, there's almost no inherent difference between one version and the other. And because she's having a pissing contest with some, with another very rich person, it's, it's falling on you to actually pay for it. I mean, or does that, I mean, does that seem... That but isn't that why we're fans of people and... If you're a fan of someone or something, you're going to support them no matter what. Yeah, I mean, it's up to the fans. If they want to spend the money on pretty much the same song, you know, it's like, I I wouldn't do it. But again, it just, it just depends on, on the fans, how they spend their money. And that's like, like with like Joe, for example, you know, I share something with him that we're Disney fans, maybe not to the extent that he is, but am I lined up right now to go back to Disneyland the first week it opens? No. You know, but that's my prerogative, you know, um, just because I'm a fan doesn't mean I'm going to go support them right away. You know, it's well, just here's, yeah, here's, I, my, thing. here's my thing. I don't think I don't think that, that this has something to do with the fans, because I think oh, what she what's Yeah, but what she's actually doing is diluting the value of those songs they bought. 
Because if she re-releases the exact same songs and puts them out there, now you've diluted the values of those songs that you that that, that these guys own. Because she put her old ones out there, out there that are pretty much exactly the same. And so now how are you going to know what, where, where to get paid what, with what? Are you going to get royalties on it? Because now there's a whole other group of them that are exactly the same that are out there. So this is kind of – that's what I think she's trying to, to, to pull here, which to me in, in a way is actually kind of smart. She's saying, hey, listen, you're going to take what – you can't take my voice. I mean, you, you have, but this is what I'm going to do. So she puts out the exact same songs. So now, which song is going to play on Spotify? Which ones are going to get paid? You know what I mean? But it's then what did she totally also do? What? She wrote Folklore, you know, in quarantine with the new label, and it won Grammy of the Year for and, album. Yeah, but my whole so. thing is that she, she can't, <laughs> like, like they, there's nothing they can do to stop her from doing this, and she's basically diluting what, what so, they own. Let me to the ask, point where they may say where they where they may you know just sell it back at that point. But Jerry, let me ask you happening. let me ask you this question, Danny. If 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 like a year from now, uh, Taylor Swift says, you know what, in in on the album Folklore, there's like two songs that I really had a better idea of how to end them, so I'm going to re-record the whole album and I'm going to put it out again. Are are you going to buy that record? It's a great album, so why not? But I mean, but that's the problem. What I'm trying to understand is that like. Like this is kind of at her whim. This isn't like I mean, listen. I understand the whole thing about wanting to own your your your, your product, and in theory, the way she could have owned her product is by paying three hundred million dollars for it. But instead of doing that, she's making you pay for her product. No, but um, she wasn't given the opportunity to buy it. Well, she could have, but she could have bought it. I mean, she, she would have, but she wasn't given the opportunity. Ask a Star Wars fans how many copies of the, those movies they own. That's well, true. yeah, but there's, that see, they the bring out all is, the time. But this one's slightly different. Oh, I gotta have it. No, it just goes to you know, back to like supporting. Like I know we we spoke about uh, when you watch like a Star Wars because George Lucas has messed with it so many times that yeah, there are differences. Like there, it's not. But he's like, bringing it out again for you to buy it again. So why well, why are we why are we having this argument? Yeah, and and ask that question <laughs> to all the Justin Timberlake fans who did not like Man of the Woods. They still went and bought the record because. They're fans of his, but that's they weren't different. excited with it. But. That's, but that's different because that's a brand new recording. This is, I mean, like I said, see, my only argument is that if it wasn't exactly, I mean, like, come on, other than you, nobody could really tell exactly, exactly, exactly that those songs were were, were, were a different version. I mean, you know, and then when I played them side by side at the same time, it's really hard to tell the difference. Yeah, well, like I said, I am a fan. You know, if we had other panelists. Just couldn't tell, though. I mean, yeah. there's, I mean, how many fans does this girl have? Like millions and millions hundreds of fans. Hundreds of millions of fans. All those hundreds of millions of fans can. Just, yeah, because we couldn't tell the difference. Doesn't mean that they, you know, that they can't. So. Movie companies will re-release the same movie yeah. with a different box art, and mm-hmm. people will go buy it again. The fans will go buy it again. So, I mean, I'm not really seeing that much of a difference. And I, I and like I said, I kind of like her strategy of her diluting the song's down so that whoever owns them is not going to get as much now as they did because, hey, there's a whole other version that's exactly the same that's out there. I have and then, especially just... if there's fans that are behind her, they're like, they're, they're asking, wait, is this the Taylor Swift version? Or I have four or, different or, 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 is, or is this the, the, the Scooter McNasty version? I mean, you know, come on. So I have four different the... DVDs of Titanic. You there know, you like you said, different cover art, but, or, you know, two new and un- unedited minutes or whatever, you know, I'm a fan of Titanic. I still want to got it, you know? So, so let me ask you this question then, which is the definitive version then? The version that, that was the hit song or the new version? 
Because there has to be one version that's the definitive. This is the song, like Love Story. There's got to be one. You, you can't say, well, th- this one, huh. you know, they're, they're both. Huh. Yeah. So oh. this is coming from the man who yesterday said the director's cut is the is the cut to go with. No, because I've always said it. I've always, so there you go. Thing, so by said, that by that knowledge, I'm going to go with Taylor Swift because that's the director's cut. I've I've always, <laughs> exactly. I've always said that that if if something was if something was done like when we're talking when we talked about the movies yesterday, I said if a movie was was put out against what the what the director wanted it to be, then the director's cut is is it should be the definitive version. But I'm here. I'm hearing Taylor Swift being against what what is out there, so she's making her no, own. She that's exactly what I'm hearing it. from you. And now I mean, you're saying, get... oh no, that's not the definitive one. No, <laughs> no, no, I'm asking which version is the definitive version. Danny, am I right here? If you want to get technical, yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> on Spotify, it says "Love Story" parentheses Taylor's version. Right. So that would have to be the different. Well, you know, right they're there. both that's Taylor's. the name of it. That's the they're both Taylor's, Taylor's version. version. That's well, that's, technically, that's, I mean, it's not Taylor's version anymore because she doesn't own own it. Remember, she did write the song. But it's but it is. I, it's, I'm voting for the director's cut, yeah. yo. It's a diff- you're, 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 it's semantics because they're both her versions. She just isn't getting paid as much on one version as she is on the other. Hey, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you got to do with that director's cut. You're getting that money. But that's, exactly. but that's Joe, that's, that's, that's such a, like a, it's, it's not even comparable. The argument I mean, we're talking about like, comparable. You made because, that argument. She's not day. happy with the first one. So she makes her own version. No, because she's not if, happy if, with it. If, it doesn't matter Snyder, what you're not happy about. No, 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 no. Listen, if Zack Snyder had, had put out Justice League and it was the exact same movie that we just that came out in 2017 that sucked, then I'd say, well, you know, that kind of doesn't make sense to me because it's the exact same thing. And there would be a bunch of DC fanboys lining up to buy it. Look, <laughs> it, look, this is the bottom line, and this is how I feel. Again, you know, she's doing this because she can, and fans are gonna buy and support her no matter what. Does mm-hmm. it make sense to all of us here on screen? No, it doesn't. You know, Pete and I talked about this before. But, um, and again, and maybe I do feel that way too because it is Taylor Swift and I just don't like her as a person, but I'm not a fan. But other than that, you know, it's she's doing it because she can. And that's just, I think, bottom line. And we can agree to disagree. I mean, that's not fair to say. And fans sure. are going to support their, you know, their, the people that they love no matter what. And trust me, I know that. It's a um, love story. Taylor, just say yes. <laughs> So at the end of the show, we're actually going to be doing a fun segment that has to do with the definitive version from what Pete just asked you, Danny. So that'll be at the end. Okay, let's bring on our guests now. When the pandemic first hit, it forced many people, including us here, to reimagine what we would do and find new ways to move forward. This would definitely describe our guest tonight, who says that she is a geographically misplaced Argentine-born, Manhattan-raised, out-of-work Jewish opera singer, living in Western Canada, who during the pandemic turned to the two things that have always made sense to her, food and music, and she created a podcast about that called Saucy Talk. Please welcome the saucy soprano herself, Melina Shine. Hi, Melina. How are you? Hello. How are you? Doing well. And yourself? I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming on. So usually I like to start talking about the podcast that you you know, that you do. But actually, I want to talk a little bit about your background, if that's okay with you. (laughs) There's a lot of information about you. So you were (laughs) born in Argentina, but you grew up in New York, correct? That's right. Yes. 
So at what age did you start to realize that you had a unique voice or that you wanted to go into singing? Um, I think when my mother forced me into singing lessons when I was around nine and I didn't have much of an interest in it, but it was just something, you know, some kids do sports and music was just my thing and what I did kind of whether I liked it or not. And uh, of course, I'm very, very happy that things happened the way they did. Uh, but it what, probably wasn't until high school that I that I really realized that that singing was kind of what I wanted to do uh, long term. Mm-hmm. So I did a little bit of research on you and I learned that you went to the prestigious uh, Juilliard. How what was that like? Oh, my gosh. Um, all the all the sort of horror stories you hear about it. Pretty darn true, I have to say. Like, I lived in the dorm uh, in Lincoln Center, and there were, you know, bars on all the windows because students would regularly hurdle themselves out of windows because the pressure was just, like, too intense. Uh, So it was a very intense four years. Um, But, you know, like, the training was was top-notch, and uh, but really, really very intense very kind of backstabby and um, just hard, like really hard. It, it gave me like a super, super tough skin, I think. Yeah, you know, you hear stories about, you know, Juilliard and, you know, the pressure that, you know, a lot of the students experience and just hearing it from you now, it's like, wow, really yeah. reaffirms that. So what did you do after Juilliard? Well, I, in my last year of Juilliard, I met, uh, I met a boy and fell in love. And he was a tenor at Juilliard uh, in a different program than I was. I was doing my undergraduate program and he was sort of past all of that and into a different uh, a different program. And he was from across the freaking world in a place called the Okanagan Valley in British Columbia. And I had never heard of that. Um, but we we traveled to visit his family and kind of never went back. <laughs> wow. so, right after Juilliard, I moved I moved out to kind of middle of nowhere Canada um, for love. And uh, the love didn't last, unfortunately. I mean, it lasted a while, but um, but I got a great son out of it. So essentially, you know, I was knocked up in my early 20s. And um, just kind of, I just had to sort of roll with it. (laughs) I see. So, you know, you say, I think in the introduction to your podcast, you said, don't ask me how I ended up here. So I was going to ask you. So now you already Um, told us. (laughs) Yeah, that's only like a little piece of the story, but you probably, you probably get the the gist of it. (laughs) Absolutely. So that our audience could get some reference to how amazing your voice is, we actually pulled a clip of you performing. So please don't sue us. Oh dear. Okay, I won't. Right I'm a Canadian now, so I don't sue people. Oh, 
one of my favorite musicals of all time. <laughs> wow, that's beautiful. It makes me a little, you know, verklempt because like that was one of the last times I was on stage before the world shut her down. Well, that's actually what I was going to talk to you about next is the pandemic happens and you can't perform. So that's when you created your podcast. Now, can you explain to our audience all about your podcast? Because I love the idea of it. And by the way, your Instagram page made me so hungry. (laughs) Those dishes are beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, well, everything shut down last March, so it's been a, a year and a bit. Um, I had contracts into the next two years, like I was supposed to um, be on a, a continuing Andrew Lloyd Webber tour across the country. Uh, all sorts of regular engagements, especially summer is is a big time for me performing in the Okanagan because we're wine country out here in Canada. So we have beautiful vineyards and outdoor venues and everything just stopped as we know. Um, So I actually spent two months on my couch playing Animal Crossing, uh, (laughs) not knowing what to do, you know, eating a lot of chips and um, building up my Animal Crossing city. And then like a light bulb, you know, eight weeks later, I thought this looks like it's sort of going to go on for a while and I can't keep doing this. (laughs) Like I have to, I have to do something. So um, I've always loved the idea of, cooking through an entire cookbook. I've always been a big fan of Julie and Julia, you know, the movie with Meryl Streep. And um, so I thought, how, how could I, you know, how could I choose a cookbook and also kind of connect this to maybe a little, you know, cultural stuff, heritage stuff, stay connected with my family uh, who are sort of all over the place and obviously can't come and visit. And so I just had a light bulb go off and I thought I'm going to cook my way through a Jewish cookbook. And so then began the research of which one, because there are many. And the the sort of definitive modern Jewish cookbook is called The Jewish Cookbook. So you don't get more sort of specific than that. Um, by author Leah Koenig, who lives in Brooklyn. And uh, it's 425 recipes, all divided into different sections. And I thought, okay, this is the one. And no matter what happens over the next however long it's going to be, I'm going to do one recipe a day until I'm done with this book. And so it's the one thing I've sort of stuck with. And as of today, today was recipe 275. So on we go. And I created this kind of brand, I guess, if, if you will, called the Saucy Soprano, because I'm a soprano and um, I'm cooking with a lot of sauces, I guess. <laughs> so um, then sort of out of that, I, I started to develop a following uh, through my blog and my website, which is the saucysoprano.com. And my son, who is also a musician, but is uh, heavy into like audiovisual and tech stuff here in the Okanagan, he started a podcast company called Podigy Podcasts, like a remote uh, podcast company. So he said, Mom, like he's 21. He said, Mom, why don't you add 
a, uh, a podcast to all this stuff that you're doing and get guests on and talk about food and talk about, you know, what musicians are doing during the pandemic. So we started Saucy Talk back in last October, and now we're into season four. So each season I've sort of categorized by the type of guest I have on. I interviewed all of my singer friends and, and then all my culinary friends. And right now, season four is a little bit of a a different sort of genre. I'm talking to um, medical professionals and health professionals all across Canada to find out, you know, how their lives have been. And uh, the connecting factor, I guess, through all of it is we, we always talk a little bit about food. And at the end, I teach them a word in Yiddish. And that's quite funny um, because that's not a language that most people know. So that's uh, that's kind of what we've been doing. And it's it's been a lot of fun. I'm new to the world of podcasting, but we have like thousands of downloads and followers and uh, it's been really cool. Yeah, I you know, there's like millions of podcasts out there, but I think yours has a little bit of you know, a lot of elements to it. So I think it's I think it's so great. Um, if you happen to have a good recipe for a matzo ball soup, can you oh. please send it my way? One of the things my husband Peter, who's on screen, um, we haven't been able to go back to New York, you know, because of the pandemic. He's from New York, and that's one of my favorite things is going to the delis and having my matzo ball soup. I need a recipe for matzo ball soup if you have it. Send it to you. And it's so funny that of all the Jewish foods, you pick that one because with all of these recipes at the end of each story that I tell, I create a rating like and I rate the recipes as someone would rate like from one to five stars. I rate my recipes in matzo balls. Oh, I love it. (laughs) Well, if a recipe is really good, it gets like four or five matzo balls. And if it's horrible, which many of them are like the pureed fish and things like that, then it gets one matzo ball. So I I have your back. I will. You You totally understand me. (laughs) So I have one uh, final question that I'm going to open it up to the panel. Um, So I understand that you're also the founder of your own vocal art studio and the founder and artistic director of your own theater company. Since we are first and foremost a theater show, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Uh, So I've I've got a vocal performance school here in the Okanagan called Valley Vocal Arts. And I've been running that since about 1997. I was very young when we started. Um, And so in that, I train singers of all ages from uh, this area. And and we do, it's it's primarily a performance studio. So, I mean, I teach them technique and and all kinds of stuff. But ultimately, the goal is uh, public performance. So we do uh, cabaret nights and recitals and master classes and all kinds of things. And then from that, because our my shows started getting bigger and bigger and more popular in this area, I branched out and started a kind of a, uh, I guess, just a, a different company just for producing theater called Big Apple Productions, because I'm from the Big Apple. And uh, so we were doing before COVID, uh, three big, like full length Broadway musicals a year. Every October, we would put on the Rocky Horror Show live uh, in the round with the full you know, that that's not a show for the faint of heart. And when I announced I was doing that, you know, I live in this is not a big town or a big community. And that show could have gone horribly wrong with people, you know, threatening to, 
I, I don't know what, like we, we really, we go full balls to the wall out with our productions. So, but it was so successful that um, it's carried on and it's a yearly tradition. And then we do one big production in concert. So we've done Jesus Christ Superstar in concert and then one big musical in the spring. And just before COVID shut us down, we were rehearsing uh, Kander and Ebb's Cabaret. It was going to be just, so fantastic and we were three rehearsals in and then it was announced that uh, we had to stop so but yeah that's big apple productions and uh it's a theater company here in the okanagan and it's uh it was <laughs> going really well and i'm sure it'll pick up again <laughs> once so. all this is over yes for sure okay so let me open it up to the panel does anybody have any questions for melina wow everybody does let's start with you chris First of all, <clears throat> thank you for coming on. Thank you. Um, I hear you talk about matzo ball soup. Now, let me ask you this. Hot pastrami, is it serious or is it is it a game? How are we talking? Say again. How hot, much? hot pastrami sandwiches. Are they are they real or are they, are they is it a game out there? Is it real business or is it a game? It is serious business. And I have to tell you, again, this is like uncanny coincidence. But right now in my refrigerator for the past week, I have been brining a corned beef. And pastrami and corned beef are like kind of on par. But for pastrami, like to make it at home, you need like a smoker for meat. And I don't have that. So corned beef gets brined. And every day I have a timer on my phone and I go into my fridge and I flip the corned beef over. I check on it. I make sure it's, you know, happy and doing okay. And tomorrow it gets cooked. So I got a loaf of rye bread and, you know, going to slice it really thin and, and put tons of mustard on it. So like Jews are serious about their meats and pastrami. Oh yeah. It's, it's a real thing. Have you found yourself like buying a lot of kitchen gadgets? Because that's been me since the pandemic started, because I've been cooking at home now, like 95% of the time. I yeah. just like buying these kitchen gadgets. Like, you know, it's, yeah. Amazon? So it's <laughs> like, are you, are you an Amazon regular? Oh, oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> they send us gifts. They like us. They so actually much. send us gifts. Yeah. Like they will send us free stuff because we buy so much from them. Oh I my God. why we get them, but they do. Yeah, uh-huh. I haven't gotten to that level yet. That's impressive. Yeah. One of the Amazon guys, like he just waits. <laughs> yeah, over I, there. I, the Amazon drivers should be the ones like giving out vaccines because, like, Seriously, yeah, you know. But yes, totally. So many gadgets. The latest thing I had to buy for the dessert section of the book coming up in about a month is something called a Kugel Hops pan. Anybody oh, heard I've of heard of them. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. I don't know what they do, but I have heard of them. Yes. <laughs> I own one now. So there you go. Yeah, I also, uh, I also I leave little treats out for them. Like over the summer, I had little treats for them for the Amazon drivers. So it awesome. treats very well. <laughs> Chris, we awesome. I, I was just wondering how well uh, your food travels because like, let's say for instance, hypothetically, if I were to give you my address and wanted you to send me some, like, would it make it here freshly? Is that <laughs> hypothetically? It's hypothetically. Uh, I guess it depends what you order. Okay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I would try to package it really well. I don't think the matzo ball soup would travel so well, or the pastrami. 
Sorry. Yeah. That's fair. Mm-hmm. That's fair. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my cousin who lives in Chicago, one of my favorite places there is called Rico Benny's. It's bread, uh, breaded steak sandwiches. So she actually shipped two of us, uh, the two of them for us. And she packaged them up and like, remember Pete? They were like wrapped in like tons of foil and yeah. <laughs> oh. they were so good. Yeah. So sandwiches do travel well. (laughs) That is service, seriously. But with like the border crossing and everything. Yeah, that's a thing a little suspicious there. (laughs) Danny. I have a question you may not um, get frequently, but how did you come about with um, or your parents with your name? Oh, that's a great question. Well, my father, who lives in New York, is uh, he's Argentine. He he uh, I was born in Argentina, but he is has been obsessed his whole life with all things Greek, Greek music, Greek food, uh, Greek culture, going to Greece, the work. So Melina is a Greek name. That means I think little honey or something. And so they wanted to name me something that was unusual and Greek. So Greek people think I'm Greek, which I'm not, but I might as well be, you know? <laughs> I asked because my sister's name is Melina. No way. Yeah. No, yeah. And um she got her name because of me. <laughs> um growing up, uh, my mom would listen to this uh, Spanish artist um named Camilo Sesto. And okay. he had a song, um, he has a song called Melina and she would play it a lot. And when she was pregnant with her, I'm like, I want the baby to be named Melina. I want the baby to be named Melina, you oh. know, and that's always stuck with me. So I always tell her, you've gotten the best gift and the best gift is your name. Cause that came from me. <laughs> Daddy, that is so cool. That's cool. Wow. So, I don't, you don't meet a lot of Melina. So I had to, that had to be the first question I asked you. I, I I can't believe your sister is named that and that you know the name. That is really, really cool. And then second part, you know, if living or um, deceased, who would would be or would have been your dream um, opera duet partner? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, I think I'm probably going to have to say Pavarotti. You know, just because I actually met him once. Uh, He came to my high school, which was the high school of music and art. Um, And he came there to give a master class. But my high school had 6,000 kids in it. So I was like in a sea of, you know, bodies. And I could never get close enough to him to actually say hello. But he was really kind and and wonderful with all of us and of course I mean one of the greatest tenors in the world I was also married to a tenor as I mentioned the guy I followed to Canada from Juilliard so my repertoire as a singer is you know all soprano tenor duets so I think Luciano and I we we probably would do really well together you know nice (laughs) (laughs) Joe um, thanks for coming on the show. I'd like to point out that I also have been trying to perfect a matzo ball soup during the pandemic. And I got to say, it's pretty good for, for an old white goy man. It's a pretty good uh, matzo <laughs> ball soup. Um, now question, question for you. Um, have you, because you're doing the Jewish cookbook, uh, have you had, uh, you have easy access to ingredients? Is there a glat mark out, out there in Western Canada or no. how, how have you been able to get stuff or have you had to like improvise? That is a great question. I have to say, I have never improvised once. 
Uh, part of my my commitment to this book was is to do things truly authentically and following tradition. But I didn't totally think that through when I when I decided on the Jewish cookbook, because like I live in a very Goyish town and there are no kosher sections or markets or anything. So I happened to find a, a place in Victoria, British Columbia on Vancouver Island. Um, of all places, it's a South African market that has a tiny little kosher food section. Don't ask me why, but I've become their best customer. So I order everything I need from them, including matzah, because you can't find that here. <laughs> and uh, so they, they've been great. And then some things I find on Amazon. And uh, other than that, the, the recipes are very much kind of tailored to, you know, the home cook. There's nothing too crazy, except last week I had to cook tongue, which was the most disgusting thing I have ever experienced. I used to be forced to eat it as a kid, but I never actually had to hold a tongue. And I was nauseous all day. Like it was just vile, but I did it because I had to. So <laughs> Pete. Hey, Melina. Um Hi. So I actually have two questions. So, so uh, my first question is that um, when when the pandemic started for us, uh, well, for everybody, but when 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 uh, we went into lockdown here in Los Angeles, it was the day after we did our first our last show in a theater. Um, and then the next day we were in lockdown. And about four days into the lockdown, Veronica and I found ourselves up at about five o'clock in the morning watching a movie. And I remember saying to her, I'm going to die if we keep doing this every night. And that's how this show was kind of born because, because we just, I had to come up with something for us to do while we were doing nothing. Um, and actually tomorrow is our first anniversary, but um, oh, of the congratulations. show. Thank you. Thank you. But I'm wondering, was there any one inciting incident that said, that made you say, well, I have to do this now because if I don't do this, I'm going to go crazy. I think it was the eight weeks of Animal Crossing. I have, I have to say, <laughs> like it got, it got pretty, um, it got pretty alarming that the only thing that was getting me out of bed in the morning was knowing that I had to water my flowers in my virtual city. And, uh, and after eight weeks of that, like every single day, I thought, this cannot go on. So very similar to your story. Like, you know, I, I knew I was going to lose my mind and I had to channel this into something creative and um, yeah. And then this whole thing was born. So I, I really get it. And congratulations on the anniversary and, and on creating something, you know, out of, out of nothing. That's fantastic. Thank you. So my, my second question is, well, since we're all we're kind of both in the same business where where you do theater like we do, um, what do you think it's going to take for people to come back to theaters now? I, I mean, do you think that once everybody's vaccinated, they're just going to magically come back or do you think it's it's going to be a while? What, what's your thought on that? Yeah, well, I, it, that's the, the same question I pose to to all of my guests who come on uh, Saucy Talk and you know, the, the opinions are, are really varied. Of course, my hope is that 
people are going to realize how much they they took for granted and how much they have missed the live theater and live performance thing. And they're just going to come flocking back in droves and we can triple our ticket prices and we're going to have sold out nights and we'll have to extend all of our runs. But I think the reality is probably going to be a little bit different from that. I sort of maybe see it as more of like a slow trickle back to back to normalcy. Um, I know one of our local theaters here sent out some information about when, when they reopen, you know, it's going to be standard policy for everyone who walks into the theater to get their temperature taken and wear a mask through the show and that seats are still going to have, you know, one empty seat between people. And so I feel like it's it's really going to be a while before things will look even close to what we knew before. Mm. But, you know, I, I mean, none of us have lived through this before, so we, we don't know. But I feel like the arts always triumph and survive in the end. And, and I think we need them more than ever and have needed them more than ever during these crazy times. So platforms like this where people are still able to, you know, offer something to the public is just amazing. Uh, but, yeah, that's that's kind of what I think. And even myself as an avid theater goer to other productions, like I can't wait to be vaccinated, of course, but I don't know how comfortable I'm going to be, you know, sitting in a theater with hundreds of people all close to me. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't even know how to sort of integrate back into regular society after a year or more of living like this. It's really, really weird. So yeah, it seems like that's the, that's what everybody says. So totally, totally. Are you related to Danny Aiello by chance? You know what? You would not be the first person who's asked me that question. And no, Um, if I was, I'd probably be doing something way more interesting than this. (laughs) (laughs) Like spending his money or something like that. (laughs) No, but my father, to be fair, my father used to use that all the time um, if he couldn't get into a restaurant. So he used to say that he was Danny Aiello's uh, brother, his son. I don't know. My father probably is older than Danny Aiello, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. You could use that in, you know, Little Italy in New York and get into some of those mafia yeah. restaurants that no one can he get. He gets to. it. Don't worry. He gets in those anyway. He don't <laughs> have to be Danny. He gets in those anyway. Don't worry about that. <laughs> I have family. <laughs> and when that doesn't work, he just puts a, you know, a, what is it, a $10 bill on his forehead? Pete? Oh, God. Don't even bring that up. Yeah. yeah, he puts That's he puts awesome. money He's he puts money on his forehead and goes up to the main. I'm pretty the sure that he has. I'm pretty sure that he has a mob nickname that he hasn't told us, like Petey Rose Beef or something like no, that. No, no, he I just don't. hasn't told us yet. <laughs> but I do know quite a few people with those names. Yeah, yeah. 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 good side, everyone. There he is. Pretty, pretty much. much. <laughs> any final questions for Molina from any of you? Oh, Melina, well, thank you so much for coming on. Now, we're actually ending our show with a musical segment. Do you want to stick around and have some fun with us, or do you have to go? No, I'd love to hang out with okay, you. Okay, cool. So awesome. we're, we're going to keep you on then. Okay. So earlier, we asked the question about Taylor Swift re-recording um, her hits. So we thought it would be interesting to do that with a group of songs that were done by original artists, but went on to hugely successful covers so that we could ask, which is the definitive version, the original song or the cover song? So Pete's going to play, you're going to play the clips, right? Yeah. What what I'm going to do is uh, let me just explain really quickly. I've taken 12 songs that were, that were either big hits or minor hits for the original artists. And then became probably either bigger hits or at least equal hits 
for somebody else. And and the thing is that like, you know, in my mind, I always thought that, that the, the person who does the song originally has the definitive version of the song. But then I, when I started doing this, I realized that's probably not the case all the time. Um, so we're going to play we're going to play the the bigger hit version of a song and then we're going to play the original version of it um, and see, and then we're going to decide which version is the one that, that most people would think would be, this is the version that has to be considered to be the the definitive version of that song. If that makes any sense. So it's not the one we like the most. It's it's, it's, not based on our tape. Because obviously, obviously the thought is that when somebody records a song, that version is is the version that that's what it is because that's because it usually came out of their out of either their head or the writer's head and put track and so that would be the version but when you hear some of these songs you might disagree because there are versions of songs that that surpass obviously the version that was done by somebody else originally mm-hmm. um and so what i try to do is i try to mix songs that were um, not written by the original artist, but it's the original version of the song and was somehow a hit. And sometimes it's the original version of the song by the songwriter, which then again would probably argue more for, well, this is how the song was meant to sound. So this would make it the definitive version. I'm going to stop saying definitive version because I keep stumbling over it. I'm noticing. Okay. So why don't we start <laughs> then and then we'll, just, we'll get the gist of it. So I just wanted to clarify then. Yes, I'm sorry. I, I hope we get the gist of it. I really do hope we get the gist of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here is the, start with the first one. Here is the classic 1982 hit, Tainted Love, as recorded by Soft Cell. Sometimes I feel I've got to run away. I've got to get away from the pain you drive into the heart of me. Okay, and here is the original version that was recorded by Gloria Jones. Sometimes I feel I've got to run away, I've got to get away from the pain you drive into the heart of me. So um, just let me give you a little background on this. Gloria Jones was like a minor artist on Motown um, back in the, uh, in, in the late 60s, early 70s. And this song was written for her. Um, it was released. It, it was a minor hit, never a big hit. And then in 1982, these guys picked it up and they and they did the, their version of it. Um, and so, yeah, that's so. This is one of those songs that was not the, the original performer did not write the song, but the song was written for her by the uh, the Motown writing team. Mm-hmm. Okay, so which one do you guys consider to be the most definitive one? Soft I think one. Soft sell. Yeah, I said soft sell too. Yeah. I mean, soft sell is the one that's like, I mean, it's it's great that the song, first of all, it's amazing to have a song written for you. I've always said when when we write sketches for a specific actor, actor the same way. If you're an artist and someone writes a song for you, that's pretty amazing. I mean, there are artists that'll go through their entire career and never have a song written for them. So, uh, but soft sell kind of took this and really kind of made it their own. I mean, how many other soft sell songs do you know? Like and you instantly know when you hear hear it when you hear that dun dun you know the song so yeah you know and honestly I don't think I've ever heard the other version before the Gloria Jones version ever it's it's, it's not the most like I said I think it, it only went to something like nineteen uh, number fifty five or something like that on the okay. charts uh-huh. but it was a, a minor hit mm-hmm. okay so let's move on to the next song here are the Fugees with their nineteen ninety six hit Killing Me Softly. Promise. 
Here is the number one hit from 1973 by Roberta Flack. What you want? Whoa! Whoa! Oh, what happened? Sorry. I haven't heard that version. That's karaoke Yeah, okay, we know. So. We know. We know. That's I mean, come on, everybody. Yeah, I mean, I, I love. I Betty, love you better song. stop. You know you're lying. You I know love you're Roberta. Lying. I love. I love hearing the, hearing Roberta Flack like singing. Not hearing someone jumping in saying one time. Yeah, two times. That part gets really annoying. It really does. Roberta Flack all day. You are. What do we watch? Fuji's a lot, but like without Roberta Flack version, forget it. It just. Melina, what do you think? One or two? I totally agree. Yeah. You're all liars. You're all liars. Why is the Fuji's version the, yeah. the definitive version? I'm sorry. Do you need to play it again? Did you not hear it? Just so we know, the uh, the Fuji's version did not go to number one. Okay. Uh, the, the original version did. Roberta Flack actually wrote the song. So it's, it's, it's like, so it was more successful and she wrote the song. So I, I mean, Nomad. to me, I would think that that would make it the more no. the, the more. One Hill is a better artist. She sold more records. Facts. Oh, well, just like we learned earlier, we can agree to disagree here. Veronica, <laughs> <laughs> you're full of lies. All right, I'm not here for your I'm lies. Sorry, so, I can't agree with you. Okay, the next song. So you probably can't go to a bar without hearing UB40's 1983 version of Red Red Wine. And here is the original version from 1967 by none other than Neil Diamond. Wow. Red. Red wine Go to my head I've yeah. never heard it either, but I kind of never it. heard it. This is the first time I'm listening to it. Y'all gonna lie again and say his is better? Because you know it's no. not. No, no, no we're not gonna say that. that. You know you can't say it with a straight face. <laughs> Try it. Try it, Joe. I dare you. No, I'm not gonna say that. But Roberta Flack one was a, was a huge, huge hit, dude. These other two songs we're talking about, the original one we, we never heard of before. So Lies. I'm not yeah, so I would have to go with number one. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I'm an old part, so this song was like, you know, this was basically my childhood, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, party all the way. It's interesting because Neil Diamond actually, I, I was trying to decide whether to use this song or, as many people remember from the movie Pulp Fiction, the song, Girl, uh, You'll Be a Woman Soon, um, which he originally wrote, and, rec- and and actually it was a single, but then it was done years later. Um, oh God, I can't remember now what, what the band was that did it. Um, but that was a huge hit too. And so, you know, Neil Diamond apparently has written a lot of songs that other people have 
covered and actually had success with. Yeah, so. I mean, he's also written songs for other people too. I mean, yeah. he's, he's a he's a prolific songwriter. So. But the UB40 song is the song that anybody that probably has heard the song knows, and a lot of people just don't know the other version. So that's why I think that this is the definitive version. Yeah. Do you hear that, Chris? Okay. Chris, Chris, you know you know oh, what makes a song you know what makes a song the definitive version when it doesn't have to have a hype man. <laughs> one time, one time. Good point. Good point. Well, no, technically though, man. there is a hype man on UB40 song because there's, there's a guy who does who does rap through the song. Rappy, yeah. <laughs> so your your theory doesn't work that way, Joe. So yeah, you never heard hit. Neil Diamond rap. You didn't hear that song. <laughs> so the biggest hit of 1990 was Nothing Compares to You by Sinead O'Connor. Prince actually wrote the song, but most mm-hmm. people don't realize it was a band he produced called The Family that recorded it first. Okay, so which one do you guys think is the most definitive? Oh, the Sinead song. Yeah. One. I mean, he got constipated in that song. Like, like it had Prince written all over. That sounds like something like Prince would definitely. Bring yeah, it. I just don't it, like his voice in that song. It's actually, it's actually funny because Prince. It, it was a throwaway song. He he didn't want right. to do it himself, um, and so he so he gave it to this band, the family that he was producing at the time. They did a version of it. Never went anywhere. The band broke up um, soon after. It was actually um, his his um, guitarist Wendy Moivol, uh, Mo- Melvoin's sister Susanna, who was in the group. So that's how he got to to produce them. And um, and so not until after uh, Sinead O'Connor actually had the hit with the song did he then put out a, a version of the song that he did, um, which was actually a live version. And then years later, he, they they released the uh, studio version after he died. So yeah, the Sinead O'Connor version has to be the, the definitive yeah. one. Definitely. But we can all agree with that. Okay, so there might not be a more recognizable soul song than the, than the classic 1967 hit, Respect, by Aretha Franklin. you want? Now, that song came out three years after soul legend Otis Redding wrote and recorded it first in 1965. I'm laughing at Chris's face. This is a tough one. It's it is, it's not. I, I feel like as a man, I have to go with Aretha Franklin's version because the male version just sounds a little bit more misogynistic. Right. So, like, Seriously, I, like I, 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 I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, this sounds so much better coming from Aretha, right? It has yeah. so much more feeling behind it. I mean, I love Otis Redding. Don't get me wrong. I love Otis Redding. But when Otis Redding comes home and says, I want some respect when I get home, it sounds completely different than yeah. Aretha. Like, and the, right? It's much more real when yeah. Aretha does it. The only, the only reason why I would argue maybe for the Otis Redding version is because 
technically when you listen to it it's 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 a really good song i mean and he oh yeah and he, and he, he just kills the song but yeah it's very misogynistic but i mean um, otis kills it kills pretty much everything he did so i mean i mean they, they, yeah. you say can't chris say chris otis read his fire right oh for sure. <laughs> oh there you go there we go so not gonna be come on but in this case it's aretha yeah. All day. <laughs> yeah. And you can't like, you know, like you just think of that song. Like I think of like all the like the parties that I've been to, all the weddings that I've been to. It's like that song comes on and everything. Yeah. And also, if you say Aretha Franklin, this is the song that most people pops in most people's head right off the bat. So there you go. It's like her signature. Yeah. Okay, so in 1983, Cindy Lauper went to number one by telling us that girls just want to have fun. <laughs> But did you guys actually know that Girls was written and performed first by a guy named Robert Hazard in 1979? Yeah, it's safe to say it's the first one. Yeah, it's actually... It's actually interesting because that version that he wrote, if, if the lyrics are a, li- a lot different and the lyrics for that song is more like girls want to have fun, which means they want to get laid. I was about to say, remember the last argument we just had? Yeah, <laughs> and, and Cindy Lauper is like a female empowerment song. So, yeah. also, also, any song that has Captain Lou Albano in the video is automatically the, the, the definitive <laughs> one. So there you go. <laughs> So one of the most covered and used songs of the past 40 years has to be Jeff Buckley's 1994 classic, Hallelujah. Goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall and the major lift, the baffled king composing And it was originally written and performed by Leonard Cohen in 1984. It goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift, the baffled king composing, hallelujah. Okay, so thoughts? Mm-hmm. I don't know, for Josh Groban. <laughs> see, see, I... I'm, I'm going to argue something strange on this one. Leonard Cohen is an awful singer. Not even really a singer. He's more like a, a, a like a talker. Crooner. Um, kind, of, kind of in the same style that Bob Dylan would, would be considered or um, Tom Waits. And, but he's known as a singer-songwriter. And, you know, his version of the song to me is, is, is it's like listening to somebody scratch on a, on a chalkboard. But... It really, because he is a, a, like his songwriter first, I kind of think like, well, his version is the version, uh, but just for that reason, not, and not because of anything else. I, I mean, the Jeff Buckley version is the one that most people do covers off of. In fact, like if you saw um, uh, if you saw Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League, that that song is at the end of the film in a cover version. Um, yeah, but I, but speaking of film, like the Jeff Buckley one got, but. Later on, as you go along through film, you you see the Leonard Cohen one popping up a lot more, yeah. And that be that that turn kind of turned it around and mm. made that into like it was his song, and it, it kind of took it back. 
So, I mean, I, I like the Leonard Cohen version better because I think the way the lyrics go and whatnot, the way that he's delivering it just kind of fits because it's more every man. It's, you know, he's saying kind of this prayer. And so, you know, like, like it's one of those things where it's like, he doesn't like, he doesn't have to be this super soulful singer. It's like this thing that like, mm-hmm. you know, you or me or anyone, you know, here could put it out when you did that, that time of need. And that's why I think I, that's why I like that version better. I'm going to go with, with Leonard Cohen. And it wouldn't even sound like good if you had like a soul singer, like Adele sing it. Like it wouldn't have the same kind of feeling listening to that song. I mean, you can find every version of it if you yeah, want. There's, there's, there's literally <laughs> a million versions of the song. I'm sure, I'm sure. Just Belina, what are your thoughts on this one? Oh, I I think Leonard Cohen all the way, but I I agree with Danny. Like he's he's not he, Danny. Did I just say Danny? Yeah. <laughs> Danny, Danny Aiello, I agree with you. Oh, sorry, Peter. (laughs) (laughs) Peter, Danny Gonzalez. Oh my god. Um, yeah, he's he's definitely not known for his beautiful lyricism, but in my mind, it's just it's his song and it was his words and his lyrics, and so he just had a feeling for it that I don't think could really be replicated by anyone else. Yeah, that's my thought, too. Uh Okay, so moving on. So while dying in 2002, Johnny Cash recorded one of his biggest hits and his most memorable ones, Hurt. I hurt myself today To see if I still feel I focus on the pain that's all always gets me because I'm such a Johnny Cash fan and knowing how sick he was when he recorded this was just, yeah. Okay, so here's the hit version by Nine Inch Nails in 1994. Chris's reaction was priceless. <laughs> So depressing. It was so depressing. But that's that's the song, though. No. I mean, that's yeah. either version is both. Right. version is like his is like his level of depression is like you had a bad day. I need a drink. I'm at home listening to this song. That version was like my life sucks and I want to end it. That's that's totally different kind of depression. And I would definitely yeah. listen to Johnny Cash's over anything else. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah. You know? I think Johnny Cash's version has a different kind of resonance because he was dying when he wrote, when he sang the song and, and it kind of takes on different meaning. But I mean, to me, I, I still think the, the, ten, the nine inch nails version is the, is the, the definitive one. Because uh, I listen, listen, the, the, the Johnny Cash one is so much deeper, not just because he was dying, but you listen to the lyrics and they're very much how his kind of his career yeah. went. Yeah. And it's so fitting to him. And, like I thought it was, I thought it was just brilliant that they decided him and his producer was um, Rick the guy Rubin. Who the Beastie Boys at the time, right? Yeah, Rick Rubin, Rick Rubin yeah. uh, uh, came up with doing that because he was even like he never even heard of it, and then Rick Rubin came in and and, and so uh, and you know Trent Reznor is a fabulous uh, uh, musician, and you know you, he's doing great stuff with movies and all that now too, and all that he really is amazing. But this one, I got to give it to Johnny Cash because I still listen to this. It's 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 surreal. It's it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So Gladys Knight's biggest hit was Midnight Train to Georgia in 1973. 
started its life back in 1972 called Midnight Plane to Houston. Oh, Chris is going to love this one. <laughs> Here we go. And she's leaving on the midnight plane to Houston. Going back. What was that? You don't stop crying me today. I am not here for the bullshit. Actually, I have, I have an interesting, no, no, I have an interesting fact about this this song. I don't give a shit about the facts. We know that that is not the one. That's not the version. Fuck your facts. Gladys, people. It's Gladys. <laughs> that, doesn't, that song doesn't even have pips. <laughs> There's no pips. There's no pips in that song. <laughs> but uh, the, an interesting fact about the song, Jim Weatherly, who wrote the song, he wrote it because he called up his friend, um, actor uh, Steve Majors, um, and, um, and, and, um, he was talking on the phone and he said his then girlfriend, Farrah Fawcett, who, you know, later became Farrah Fawcett Majors and a big model, big actress, um, was leaving him because she didn't want to be in, in Hollywood anymore. She wanted to go back to Texas. Um, and so that's where the song came from. He, he got the idea from, from that. And then what happened was Sissy Houston heard, uh, heard this version of the song and thought, it would make a great soul song, but she thought that what she actually said was black people don't fly. They take trains. Um, and, and they, they probably don't go, don't and, go and, to and, Houston. And, and she also <laughs> said that they don't, that they don't go to Texas. So, so they changed it to midnight train to Georgia. Black population. It's like actually more black people there than anything else in Houston. So that's not yeah, true. Well, <laughs> well, blame Sissy Houston then. Cause that's what she said. And so she not recorded wrong. it. And then Gladys Knight did it like two years later. So I think we can all agree that we like the Gladys Knight one. Yeah. I think you add, I listen, you add pips to any song, it makes it better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they would have been great on her. No pips, not pips. <laughs> no pips also make a song pretty good, too. <laughs> so here are the Shirelles singing one of the biggest hits of the 1960s. Will you love me tomorrow? very interesting because the next version was recorded years after the Shirelles version by the songwriters Carol King on her groundbreaking album Tapestry. Love is in your eyes But will you dancing all the way dancing. Yes. exactly yeah, yeah. See, I, I i gotta go with the carol king version because i mean she did write the song and <laughs> and this and and she said that even though when she did this when they did the song she wrote it with her ex-husband jerry goffin um for the shirelles because she used to be a staff writer at the, the brill building in new york which used to put out all these hit songs um but she said she always saw it as a slow ballad and then after she got divorced she, you know, she said that the song had more poignancy, and so she recorded it this way. And again, she's the one who wrote it, 
And she says that this is the way it was supposed to be done from the beginning. And that's why I have to go with her version. No, I'm going to go with the Shirelles because I saw the movie, That Thing You Do. And I do know that if you add a really good drum beat, you speed it up. It's much better. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, I love that movie. (laughs) I love that movie too. (laughs) And now I have to go with the Shirelles too. I mean, and it's so funny how we all just kind of associated it with Dirty Dancing. You know, we're like, oh. Okay, so when the film Donnie Darko came out in 2001, they used the song Mad World, performed by Gary Jewell. It was a modest success, but more importantly, it was used multiple times in film and TV promo. Worn out faces, worn out faces, bright and early for the daily race. I think that song has been in every HBO commercial in the last 20 years. <laughs> like every time the HBO has a new series that plays in the background. It's a dark series. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So here's the original new wave hit by Tears for Fears. Go. Oh, come on. Stop with this. Speeding up. <laughs> All around me faces. places. faces. It reminds me of like uh like eighties movies like a Tron or something like that. I can see like total like graphics in the in the background like somebody having fun. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna go with the Tears for Fears version. Oh, oh, oh now you want to go? With, okay. Well, this this is one of those times when when I, I mean I I identify that song with that band because I remember when that album came. What out. You, that song? Well, yeah, I do because I, I was a fan of Tears Everybody for Fears when they were popular, and so that's why. I, I mean, again, it's all subjective. You know, at the end of the day, I mean, you can go with one or go with the other, but it's really what your preference is, I guess. No, I mean, I mean the fact that when you think of Tears for Fears, that's the song. That no, no, no. I think of a lot of other songs, but I, but I, when I hear that song, I mean, whoever does that song, I think of Tears for Fears because they were the ones who did it. Okay. So we're moving on now to our final song of the night, and it's probably the hardest track to decide which is a definitive version. So first, let's listen to Whitney Houston doing her biggest hit of all time, 1992's I Will Always Love You. And here is the original version written and recorded by Dolly Parton in 1974. Now, (laughs) I know Dolly Parton wrote it, but no way is this not a Whitney song. It means it's a definitive version. Listen, again, and I, I have to agree with Danny. I, I, Dolly is amazing. She's fantastic. But man, the minute you hear the song, you see Kevin Costner carrying her ass out of that concert theater through that. You hear that in a second, and it's just this iconic. Like you can't get it out of your head. And yeah. I'm like, that 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 alone makes this that that the definitive version. <laughs> Although I was going to say, so The Bodyguard is one of my all-time favorite movies ever. And whenever I hear the Dolly Parton version, I think of one of the most romantic scenes when they're at the bar and they're slow dancing together. And I just, like, associate that. But it's that final scene, you know, that just, oh, 
Yeah, so I have to go with um, with Whitney Houston as well. A few okay. years ago, there was a country medley where they meshed three different songs together, and I Will Always Love You was one of them. And they even have Dolly Parton sing at the very end of it. But the whole song, whenever um, I Will Always Love You is referenced, I still think of Whitney. Yeah. yeah. You just associate it with her automatically. Chris, do you have something to say about this? <laughs> I was just waiting to see if Pete was gonna be just gonna fuck with me a little bit and say some 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 weird shit. No, no listen. <laughs> there's two things I think of when I think of Whitney Houston. I will always love you and bathtubs. So oh. I'm gonna go. Oh no! no. <laughs> I knew it. I knew you were gonna do it. I, well, I had it. to do that, right, Chris? I'm sorry. No. I was waiting on it. I knew you couldn't resist it. Say it, Ver- Veronica. Say it. Say it. Sorry, Melina. Say it. I just, I just want to say that Peter's um, opinions do not reflect the opinions of everybody. <laughs> no, I wanted you to say, and that's our show. <laughs> oh, that too. So I guess we can all agree that it's Whitney Houston. I will. Yeah. Okay, well, that is our show for tonight. <laughs> Nina, thank you so much for sticking around with us. And I just want to tell our viewers and remind them that our the Saucy Talk podcast can be heard on all major podcast streaming platforms. Is that correct? It is. And thank you so, so much for having me. You guys are a hoot. And this is like the most human interaction I've had in over a year. So oh, come you. back anytime. We'd love to have Go you. Anytime. Well, seriously, we love it. Anytime. So definitely you have my information and I'll be expecting that matzo ball soup recipe. I will be sending it very soon. And I'll send you a picture of what it looks like when I actually make it. It's Perfect. probably not going to be as pretty as your dish. Dishes, but <laughs> I'll, I'll make it work. That's Thank you so much, everyone. And we'll see you back here again tomorrow at 6 p.m. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Stay safe.